Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris back again as we continue our march through time with our Halloween um, episode. This, their fifth album, Chameleon. Boy, is this a different one, going back to 1993. But before we get to Halloween, Chris, my friend, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I, I'm uh, I'm a little worried that you're a witch, but um, <laughs> other than oh, that, yeah. well, why is that? Uh, well, we'll talk about it at the end. But uh, we'll 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 let, we'll, we'll peak people's curiosity uh, in, unless you're part of the uh, part of the the um, the online or the, uh, the the video group chat. Then you probably have a, a, an idea of what I'm referring to. But we'll we'll <laughs> reveal that later uh, towards the end. Um, yeah. Otherwise, uh, everything's good. I guess being that we're you know mere a mere day before Halloween, uh, it's timely to be friends with a witch. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't know how I pulled this off, but I managed to do something uh, semi miraculous. And if you want to find out what that is, you'll have to wait until we get to the end of the episode. But for now, I'll ask you what I always ask, which is, have you heard anything new and interesting this week? A lot has come out in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I'm finally starting to kind of catch up on some stuff. Uh, I gave the new Theocracy album a listen to, which um, I talked about a bit on our group chat yesterday. Um, really enjoyed it. I thought it was very good. Um, I uh, I listened to the new Temperance album, which I thought was quite good. Uh, Ronnie Atkins' new solo album. We'll we'll talk a bit about him towards the end as well. Um, all good stuff. Um, just uh, it was good to kind of get back into the the swing of, of listening to some metal releases. I actually didn't really listen to Chameleon at all this week because I listened to it a bunch of times uh, the previous couple of weeks heading into this week and I felt pretty comfortable with it. So I was able to kind of focus in on, um, some of this other, other stuff. Um, I also gave our, our friend, uh, uh, Rich's band Taliesin, uh, which I <laughs> went out of my way to learn how to pronounce correctly. And then he told me that they pronounce it incorrectly. So I'm going <laughs> to go with his, I'm going to go with his incorrect pronunciation. Uh, they released an album called disciple. Uh, I believe it came out last month. It's really good. I, I was, really impressed i'm gonna go back and give this one another listen um but i will say that the song of all the songs i heard today the one that really stuck out to me uh was a song called godless from uh ronnie atkins trinity album so i would recommend um you you guys go, go and give that a listen it was the longest track on the album but i i really liked it it was um just really melodic and and you know this is um I guess this is Ronnie's third solo album in, geez, it's, it feels as if it's his third album in as many years. Um, but I really, you know, I just enjoy hearing his, uh, his voice. Um, it's a little bit different from, you know, what you're used to with Pretty Maids. It's a little bit more of that, uh, you know, um, Frontiers kind of <laughs> sound, a little bit more of the, just that melodic. I think that's uh, become an adjective lately. Yeah, it's kind of like an AOR kind of deal, but um, I, I really liked it. So, um, you know, got some more to on the uh, the docket, but uh, I feel pretty good about catching up on stuff. Uh, so, yeah, that was pretty much um, pretty much where I'm at. Um, and and also, um, I, I had mentioned to you earlier that um, uh, Lily from 
uh, Master Sword, I, I don't believe that the ba- the band's kind of on hiatus right now. Uh, she's kind of created her own kind of solo uh, name uh, by, and she goes by Lily Andromeda now, and she's done a couple of uh, uh, covers on- online, and uh, they dropped one of um, Sweet True Lies, which is a uh, a cover of Beast in Black, uh, a band we've spoken at length about, um, and. I, I was really impressed with uh, the the job she did on here. I'm a really big fan of her her vocals. I think that she has a very um, distinct sound that um, I don't think is uh, similar to to any other vocalist that I've heard. Um, she um, worked with uh, Jason Ashcraft um, on on this, and previously they. Uh, they had done a cover together of Halloween's uh, The Invisible Man, which was a song that was on the uh, Keeper of the Seven Keys, The Legacy album. And I thought that was really cool as well. But uh, I really enjoyed the the Beast in Black cover. So um, that was really cool. Um, I believe uh, Jason Ashcraft is from uh, Hellion Prime and the uh, the Planeswalker um project that i think we discussed or spoke of uh from last year so um cool stuff i I recommend checking it out if you uh if you haven't yeah lots of uh lots of good stuff there i've got a couple of things myself actually both female fronted bands that i think um one i know you're aware of the other one maybe not so much uh, after what seemed like quite a bit of a hiatus, Exit Eden is back with a new single called Run! Exclamation point, featuring Marco Haitala, formerly of Nightwish. Um, Clementine from um, Visions of Atlantis does the bulk of the lead vocals on this track. And I have to say, if you closed your eyes, you would kind of think this is like, I don't know, a net era Nightwish or something like that. It's a really good track um, from an era, arguably my favorite era of the band, you know, Nightwish. Definitely something to keep an eye out on. And so even though they're down a singer now, I have a feeling this album could be really, really good. And it sounds like there's a lot of inspiration and maybe the time off for everyone, you know, kind of uh, re-energize them. And what's interesting is, if I'm not mistaken, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I believe this is their first original song that they've released. Yeah, yeah. I, I had mentioned them last week, and yeah. um, I think it was the day after they released this single. Um, you know, and I'd mentioned Amanda Somerville was no longer with the band, and it, it I don't know if they're going to have like a guest vocalist on all the songs as like the guest fourth vocalist. I don't know if that's going to be the case, but it, it was cool. I, like, having Marco in there was such a great call, and yeah, it's their first... Uh, first original song because that first album was all covers so um i'm not sure if uh the new album is supposed to be a mix of original stuff and covers or are all original uh, i guess we'll find out but uh i'm excited to hear because i really did enjoy that first one and i thought the single showed a lot of promise so good stuff yeah i i would agree with that and in the same type of vein in terms of like style There's a band out of Italy that released an album back in 2023. The band is Elegy of Madness. The album is Invisible World. It was their fourth release, but they just came out with their fifth album entitled 11 or XI using Roman numerals. And although I don't think it was anything groundbreaking, I thought it was just a really enjoyable listen. Um, I think, 
even more so than myself, I think you will really appreciate this band, just knowing your affinity for that symphonic metal style. This has you written all over it. So I would strongly suggest you check out at least a couple of singles off the album. Yeah, I actually have the uh, the single Broken Soul on a, uh, a playlist that um, I put out a yep. little while ago. But I have to hear the rest of the album. Yeah, That's the only say song I've heard from that album. Just a really um, a solid effort from them, I would say. Just I think it's something I think you'll particularly enjoy. But um, with all that new music and all the good stuff that's been coming out, we go back to 1993 and we go back to a Halloween album, which I still think is jarring to the listener in many ways because this is five or six years after Keeper of the Seven Keys Part One and Part Two arguably the two most influential power metal albums of all time. And yeah, you can throw some early Blind Guardian into the mix. Hell, if you wanted to throw Power Slave into the mix by Iron Maiden, I don't think people would argue. But for all intents and purposes, that whole power slash speed metal thing really came into its own in 87 and 88. And here we are just five or six years later, and Halloween releases an album which is by all for all intents and purposes completely different than anything they'd ever done and i would argue further away from pink bubbles than pink bubble was keeper if that makes sense like this is just so far off the beaten path that it does not get a lot of love from hardcore halloween fans it never really caught on in the mainstream although i think that there's some mainstream appeal here it's just an oddity, especially when you consider that a mere year later, Master of the Rings would come out and blow everybody's faces off with just a return to form. And I, I obviously look forward to, to chatting with you about that in the future. Um, but, you know, I, I make no bones about it. This was an album that I have struggled with for 25 years. And although I've listened to it plenty of times... I never got into it, and I was kind of excited when you chose it this week because it gave me, or dare I say forced me, to listen to the album multiple times. Um, no excuses, no skipping tracks, just play it straight through, and it is a long album. This album is 71 minutes or so before you even get to seven or eight bonus tracks, so a lot of meat on the bone here, as they say. Um, this was quite the uh interesting week for me i have to say uh <laughs> you said a mouthful uh yeah um i uh i think i've always kind of been a little bit soft on this album um and i i guess what i mean by that is just that i haven't been as harsh in criticism as much as others have been um and i think the reason for that and and I'll probably echo some of the things that I said when we talked about Pink Bubbles Go Eat, but, um, you know, this comes at a time where I was really, really hungry for more Halloween, you know, at the time, you know, we had our Keeper albums, we had our Walls of Jericho, and then we had, you know, Master of the Rings and Time of the Oath, and and probably better than Raw at that point, maybe not, uh, yeah, probably at that point, and so I was just the fact that there were this, you know, another two albums out there, I didn't really give it a shit if they were not uh, the same, you know, as anything else. Like, I just wanted to hear more from this band. And so I, I ordered both albums at the same time. And yeah, um, 
this was definitely a totally different experience. Pink Bubbles Go Ape was almost like Keeper Light, whereas this was like, I mean, I think this is like, a, I had made a comment during our Monkeys uh, Justice episode that like, it felt like a four person solo album. And I think I compare. I literally compared it to this album, uh, which did. was a little bit of me dropping a hint that we would be covering it in the near future. But um, this really is just uh, three guys <laughs> from Halloween writing four songs each, and like I don't know that they had m- much to do with one another in the recording process. And uh, they went on tour after this, and and then you know they canned. Uh, Kisk and, and Ingo immediately after the tour. Uh, and I think it was just uh, such a commercial and critical flop that they just knew it was time to just hit the reset button. Um, but man, this is, I, I have to say, I think this is the most fascinating Halloween album of all time. Whether that's for good or bad reasons, I guess, depends, uh, on the, the person, but at, at least, um, uh, to me, I, I just, every song is, there's not two songs that sound remotely similar on this album, even the ones that were penned by the same composer. Yes. And in fact, it's a really interesting exercise. If you kind of guess who wrote the songs, because there are certain songs where, you can pretty much guarantee you you can guess correctly. And there was one or two that I went back and I guessed wrong. And I was convinced somebody else wrote the song and I was surprised to see who actually penned it. But, you know, one of the things that we don't often talk about is cover art. And this cover art for this album is something we have to just mention before we get into the actual album. It is basically a white backdrop with four different, streaks of colors and then in the top right the classic halloween logo i mean it is just a weird album cover for what can otherwise be described as a weird album and it almost speaks to the lack of cohesion because of the cover where it's just these four parallel lines but they look nothing alike because of the stark contrast and color when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, the green streak I think is for the B sides that uh, Marcus got to <laughs> got to write, and uh, the white just is Ingo not writing anything as per usual. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's odd. It's the same lineup as as Pink Bowls. Um, you know, Ro- uh, Roland Roland Grappo, Michael Wycath on guitar, Michael Kisk on vocals, Marcus Groskopf on bass, and Ingo Schwichtenberg on drums. Um, you know, 
at that point in time. I think that might have been the longest, <laughs> the longest uh, running Halloween personnel, or, or if not tied with the uh, Keeper era, which only lasted about two or three years. I mean, they're basically equal in length, but very different in uh, critical acclaim. But um, I can't even imagine what it would have been like to be a fan of this band at the time and kind of hoping that the band would would do something a little bit more dynamic after Pink Bubbles kind of fell a little bit flat and they went the opposite direction. Like, this is like an almost like a like an art like a like a art project <laughs> from just a bunch of guys that had no just seemingly had no interest in working with one another and just wanted to bang out this album i think that there was some uh desire to try and make it commercial um which it's kind of funny it reminds me a little bit of fight for the rock by sabotage where like they tried to be commercial and it it ended up being like the worst received album in the sabotage catalog. And this is, this is to me is the worst received album in the Halloween catalog. Although I think that there's a lot of good in here. Um, it's just sometimes it's almost like you have to close your eyes and pretend you're listening to a, a kiss white cat or, or rolling grappo solo album that kiss just happens to be the singer for, uh, on yeah. the entire thing. There is no, flow the only reason there's a flow on this album to me is because i've heard it so many times i just know what's supposed to come next but man like these the songs are just so so different from one another like and i think that's the problem it's jarring to the listener if you've never heard it before and unfortunately even knowing the album as well as i do there's still no continuity between this stuff it's like they threw stuff against the wall to see how it would stick and unfortunately, some of these songs stick and other ones, you know, are, are definitely skippable, especially in the pantheon of their catalog where there's so many great classic songs. But um, without further ado, I think we should just kind of get into it because each song has such charm for good or for bad. It's, it's, worth, it's worth noting. And the first song, ironically called First Time, I would argue is the most classic sounding Halloween song on the album. And it just go, and, and I'm not saying that this song would have been on Keeper Two, but there's an argument to be made that this song could have possibly been on Pink Bubbles or something like that. And it's one of the probably three hardest rocking tunes on the album. And you know, just from the second that this thing starts, that this is written by Whitecath because it has a certain cadence to it and a certain um, catchiness, I guess, that is just you know Whitecath through and through. Um, I always found this to be an enjoyable tune, although admittedly, because it's because it was enjoyable at the time, I think I don't enjoy it as much as I used to, only because I probably played it more than any other song on the album. Um, so definitely not my song of the week at this point. But there's this simple riff which kind of permeates the entire song, and I do enjoy how the bass lines kind of play off of it. That being said the wheels come off the wagon right after this. So if you're looking for this kind of a sound throughout, you're going to be sorely disappointed as you listen to this album. Yeah. I couldn't remember the first time pun, you know, pun intended, I guess uh, the first time I listened to this album and just was like, Whoa, like what, what, what happened here? Um, it, it's weird the way, the way that the, even just the, the 
tracks are laid out. Um, you know, there's like this big, like wikey block in the middle. Like it, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, I always really like this song a lot. I, I think it's one of the most underrated Halloween songs. And I think one of the reasons why is because it's on this album. Um, I think that maybe if it was on a pink bubbles go ape, it might have received a little bit more love, you know, a lot of the chance or mankind or, or what have you. Um, I, I, I agree with you. I don't know that it would have fit as a keeper song, but maybe a keeper B side, uh, uh, you know, like living ain't no crime, which was kind of this really, um, again, another song I think was penned by Wikey just kind of had like almost too much of a, of an upbeat nature to it. Um, this one, this, the lyrics are really cheesy. I think it literally is just a, a song about trying to convince a girl to lose her virginity to the guy. I, I'm hoping Wikey didn't uh, write it, um, you know, based on a personal experience. But, uh, you know, I, I I really like it. That riff to me is is one of my favorite Halloween riffs of all time. Um, it's, I will also say that, like, up until this point, if we're going to say one nice thing about this album, it's the best production, uh, the best sounding Halloween album up to this point, because I don't think anyone would argue that the first four albums were the best sounding uh, records ever produced. So I'm going to challenge you a little bit. I think it's clear in the sense that sonically it's, clear it's louder it's better produced but i actually think the mix itself is pretty poor and i'm going to tell you why unlike the other albums which obviously don't sound as well produced this production just sounds flat to me the entire album sounds a little flat and i think that it lacks the punch of the low end which kind of drove some of those other classic songs, which is really the double bass drum. Um, that 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 even though even the low crunch of the guitars is just not really anywhere to be found on here. And maybe it's part of the reason why the songs are so different. But I actually don't love the mix. I don't mind the production. I just don't like the mix. Yeah, that's a. I think that's a a fair comment. Um, I, I think that might just be more of a. Uh... I don't know, more of a, a function of th- them going for a more commercial sound or the fact that it was 1993. I don't know. Um, I guess I could kind of understand that. Um, I feel like Pink Bubbles at least sounded a little bit muddier to me. Um, okay, and this, fair. This, I think this has more clarity. Although, you know, maybe you're right, like it's not mixed as well. But I think overall, maybe from a mastering standpoint, it, it just has, I think it just sounds clearer um than the the previous albums did um the keeper albums in walls of jericho especially have a very 80s recording kind of vibe to them um which some people don't really like um i i I, there's some remixed songs from that era that like really show how differently those songs could have sounded if you check out the treasure chest uh greatest hits set they did. I don't know if their plan was originally to like remix everything, and then they did a few, and it became too time consuming. But they did uh, remixes of Doctor Steen and Keeper of the Seven Keys, and a few tracks from Walls of Jericho, and they sound incredible. Oh, um, totally, it's like a it's like new life on those songs. Yeah. So, but uh, anyway, 
uh, getting back to Chameleon, um, you know, I think I think I'm going to make this my song of the week. In all honesty, I just really like it that much. Um, I was I would have if you were going to pick it, I would have probably chosen something else just to be a little bit different. But since you didn't, I'll, I'll go with this one. Um, I agree with you. It's the most classic Halloween sounding song on this album. It definitely is a wiki tune, and uh, I, I think it just is a real good, a real rocker. And and I would. I would lose my shit if they played this song live, like just busted it out. I mean, I don't know that there's a ton of songs on this album. I'd really want to hear live. Um, I mean, four of them are pretty much not never going to be played live because they were written by Roland and he's not part of the, the, that group at, at this point. Um, so yeah, like of the remaining options, uh, I, this might be the only one I'd really want to hear played live, but I would, I would lose my mind. So let's give it a uh, a quick listen and, and we'll uh, move on to uh, Michael Kisk's first, uh, you know, uh, song that he uh, gave to this album. So here's first time. Can I watch you rock and know which one to choose? I'm the liar. I could take you down and you got nothing to lose. I'm So that brings us to track two, When the Sinner, which is this completely different, right? It's slower. It's poppier. It has a real like radio rock vibe. And I got to be honest, my wife pointed something out to me in the car, which I would have never thought about had she not brought it up. But when this song came on, she's like, it sounds like Aerosmith. And you know what? She's not incredibly wrong. Um, I actually think she's right. And I never noticed it before. It's it's not a bad song in full candor. It's actually not bad at all. It's just not Halloween. And I, I mean, I could say that a lot about this album. I won't say it each and every time. But I did find it interesting that it was released as the first single for the album. It actually came out um, about 10 days before the album was released on May 31st of 1993. Um I love the layered vocals in, in places and it just has this like really catchy chorus, but it's jarring when you start hearing saxophones and piano and brass instruments in a Halloween song. I, I can't imagine being in Germany and like kind of listening to the radio and then hearing this song and be like, what the hell is this? But that's what happened. And, and that's when the sinner, but like all in all, not bad. Yeah, this is a, you know, Michael Kisk just, this is like, I think for the first time him writing music that he wanted to write that wasn't, you know, that would be put in that heavy metal box. I think he tried to to write songs that fit into that box for 
think Bubbles Go Ape and, and Keeper 2. I don't think he wrote any of the songs on Keeper 1, if memory serves. But, um, he, you know, he, to my understanding, like, he took care of all the orchestrations on his tracks. And, like, he really went all out. Um, and, and this song kind of shows that. It, it's uh, it, It's such an odd song to listen to right after first time. Because it's just like this like production it's like it's it's there there's like some cool guitar work though during the solos there's a really fun music video that they made that kind of is like a, a riff on their legal dispute with noise records which um you know the whole story behind that was that they were kind of um landlocked so to speak with these two albums pink bubbles and chameleon they were never released in the u.s because they were signed on to emi records which you know for those who know that it was the record label, the Beatles were on. And um, as, as far as I know, these albums didn't come out outside of Europe and Japan until much later. Um, I certainly had to import both of them in order to listen to them. But uh, th- yeah, this is a cool song. You know, there's like a 45 second, like saxophone solo to end the song, which is yep. completely out of place and weird. Um, but then again, it almost makes sense in the grand scheme of this entire album where nothing makes any sense anyway. So why not have a, you know, 40 second saxophone solo? Like at this point, who cares? Like, you know, it's, they were just throwing whatever against the wall and uh, not a lot stuck, but I mean, I don't know. (laughs) I've listened to this album so many times over the years that like, it does nothing really surprises me anymore, but like it, I, the first time I heard it, I thought it was so like, just so offbeat and weird. Yeah, it, it is. It is. And and I think it's on full display here because this is the first track on the album where they do something like this. But it, it's not the last. Um, we get to track three, though. I Don't Want to Cry No More, which is the second single from the album. And this is a Roland Grappo song that, quite frankly, you know it's Roland from the second this song kicks off. And I say that because the guitar intro is just very like Grand Funk Railroad that whole type of sound, which obviously was a big influence for him. And it's the first of many ballads on this album, arguably arguably the best uh, on the album, in my opinion. But for whatever reason, it's just not in the vein of like the classic Halloween ballads. So as a result, it's still jarring in its own right, even though it's certainly digestible. Um, it's many, in many ways, it's just a simple folk rock tune but the strings that they use, the orchestration gives it a really polished feel, but almost too polished. And and I don't love the track. Uh, I think the intro is cool, but I, it loses me somewhere in the middle because it's just, you know, it, this is a far cry from a tale that wasn't right. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it's that far of a cry. Like, it, it's, I think it's a really good power ballad. Um, I really like the acoustic guitar solo towards you know the back end of the song and then it kicks back into the electric like it's a i think it's a really nice song it was uh it was um roland had uh written it for his brother who had passed away um and that's basically what the the song is about um i agree 100 percent. it's just very roland it, it de- definitely has a grand funk railroad vibe on on that um intro it, it's just um i don't know it's like you, you you what you go from like this hard rocker to like a weird like mid tempo 
kind of like radio rock song and now we're on the third track and we're already kind of onto like the uh you know a, a power ballad and there's going to be like i think each of the three songwriters each have their own kind of ballad type song on this album there are a lot of kind of slower parts um I, I always really kind of like this song. I think it's really, uh, it's, it's, it's a nice song. And again, like I'm trying to look at these songs outside of like them being Halloween, Halloween songs. songs and just kind of songs in and of themselves and an, a different way of, of experiencing a lot of these songs uh, is if you go take a look, uh, you can find Michael Kisk released an album, a soul album called past in different ways, where he re-recorded um, all of, or most of, if not all of the songs he wrote for Halloween, including uh, When the Sinner. Um, and and Master Plan uh, released an album of all of the songs Roland wrote uh, when he was with Halloween. <laughs> Minus one of them, which we'll get to next. But uh, this was a bonus track that Roland sang the vocals on which is a really cool version of the song for, I, I, I thought that it made sense because being that it was such a, like a, a song that was close to Roland's heart that he would sing it instead of Rick. Um, but yeah, I think this is a good tune. Uh, it's just, um, again, it, it just doesn't really feel like a Halloween song, but um, I think in and of itself, I think it's a, a pretty nice tune. Well, you know, before rabbit didn't come easy there was crazy cat so that's the fourth track here um and while i knew roland had penned i don't want to cry no more this was a bit of a surprise to me because crazy cat doesn't sound like classic roland to me this is more like upbeat with scat and jazz elements yes scat and jazz elements and as a result always reminds me of like a show tune, like something you would kind of see on Broadway with like jazz hands and like the short little cane, the magician's cane and all that stuff. Um, that said, buried in all that like David Lee Roth top hat showman thing, there's some really good guitar work on this album. And if you close your eyes and you just forget who you're listening to. I think crazy cat is actually like a decent experimental hard rock tune <laughs> somewhere. Um, yeah. I, I mean, that's kind of the way I would describe this. Close your eyes, listen to it, pretend you don't know who's playing it. And it's actually semi enjoyable. Th- this was the one song that master plan didn't cover on their yeah. Kings album, which I was disappointed because I think it would have been fun to hear. It's too awesome. Yeah, it would have been funny to hear a modern take of it. I love this song. Hearing Rick Alsey sing "Crazy Cat," I mean, <laughs> come on. Uh, I, I, I mean, the fact that this song just is one of the most unhalloween songs I've ever heard because of just how, like, the orchestrations and the jazziness of it is so over the top. Like you said, um, it's a this song is a freaking blast. I, and I got to share the video. I, I, somebody made a video. Uh, and it's on YouTube of, of an actual cat just walking through town causing problems as, as set to this song. It's not, like a little, yeah, not, but a real cat. Um, oh, <laughs> it's, it's really funny. Um, so I'll have to share that. Um, but, uh, yeah, if you want to hear just a, this is a, 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 the shortest song on the album. You're in and out in three and a half minutes. But I mean, if you've never heard this album, at least do yourself a favor and listen to this song and just be like, how the hell 
did they put a Halloween logo <laughs> on this thing? Because it's it's just so. I mean, B side, sure, but like it's this so is an album proper. Yeah, I mean, uh, they were going for an animal thing. They had heavy metal hamsters on the last one, and now we have Crazy Cat on this one. Uh, rabbits didn't come easy later on, but um, <laughs> just uh, like just a weird first four tracks, and then Wikey just takes the reins for the next uh, three songs. Um, but I think Crazy Cat is a blast, and I remember even really liking it as a kid when I first heard the album. Um, just really really out there well yeah and, and i would argue that the next three wikey songs are like three of the most bizarre tracks that he's ever penned and we start with giants give me your thoughts on this because i actually have some interesting i think with some interesting um reaction to this having heard it so many times this week yeah i've always been a giants fan never a jets fan <laughs> um i I think this this was a song that I don't think I liked that much at first, but over the years, I actually really, really like it a lot. I think that it's one of the more Halloween-ish songs, at least of like the Michael Kisk era. Um, they're, they played this live with Andy Darris for a short time at the beginning of the Master of the Rings uh, tour, and I, I would urge you to kind of seek that out on YouTube because it's pretty cool to hear Andy sing it. Um, I take back what I said before. This is another song I think that would be really cool to hear the band perform live, especially now that Kiska is is back in the fold. Um, But this song, it's a little bit soft, but it, but it still feels like a heavy metal song. And, and I don't know. I think it's uh I think it's it's a pretty complex um, power metal song, but I, I think it's quite good. Um, there's the 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 sound effects and kind of like the the orchestrations and stuff that they use in the middle of the song are, are really like really dramatic, um, almost like spacey uh, in in ways. Um, but you know, you have your guitar solos, and I, I don't know. Uh, I think I used to think this song didn't need to be need to be as long as it was, but it doesn't really bother me. Uh, I think this is one of the better tracks on the album, and uh, I, I think this is, pr- in my opinion, this might be Wikey's worst outing as a songwriter for Halloween, on a ma- in the macro sense on this album. But I think this song and First Time are definitely the two uh, bright spots for him uh on this album so um i'm very curious to hear what you have to say i never paid this song any mind as a kid and so going back i knew first time i was going to enjoy it for what it was i didn't think i was going to enjoy giants because it just never resonated with me as a kid this was much better than I remembered it. Much better than I remembered it. And even though it's more glam than jazz, there's some good guitar solos. I think the verses are amongst the best on the album. And Kisk's vocals are just outstanding on this track. It actually has a bit of a Mankind vibe to me. Not that Whitecath had anything to do with that. I don't think he wrote Mankind, did he? That was Roland. Yeah, it was Roland. That's what I thought. But it still has that kind of grandiose build that mankind has and it has that kind of a feel to it um that 
spacey section you mentioned, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with that particular song, and that's why I didn't make it my song of the week. But at the same time, if I ever heard this song live today, I'd completely mark out. It would be, I'd love it. Um, it was in contention for song of the week. It was my runner-up to what I ultimately chose. Nice, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't have said that. I wouldn't have said that six months ago or sixteen years ago. So that's a <laughs> testament to listening to this album again. I, I like your uh, comparison to mankind. I think that's um, a pretty apt comparison. Um, this, I think, feels a little bit more dramatic, but um, I definitely think there's some parallels there. Um, so yeah, uh, really cool tune. Um, the next one is interesting. This was another. Um, another one of the singles and this is another wikey song called windmill and this is definitely a ballad um i the first time i heard it i thought that halloween wrote a country song i really <laughs> thought that like it, it it there is something very country about this um this song it is really kind of surprising to me this and the following track that wikey wrote these two songs for this album because they're two of the most unwikey like songs I've ever heard. I don't necessarily dislike Windmill, um uh, but I don't know that I really love it that much either. It's just an odd it's an oddball tune. It's not it's probably my least favorite of the softer tunes on this album, but um it definitely sounds like it could have had some sort of ra- like radio potential or Whatever I don't know, not for metal fans, but, but um, I, I don't know. It, it was uh... you can see why they released it as the third single. But that being said, I find it boring, a little weird, and very cheesy. And so I, I've always found this to be a very skippable tune. I think the highlight are those piano notes in the beginning, and then unfortunately it just gets worse after that. And I argue it's maybe White Cat's worst song. Out of the entire discography, I don't know that there's anything worse than this. And I say that because it's fine, but it's repetitive and it just goes on too long. That all being said, that all being said, it's better than I remember it. So so I want to be clear. I hated this song. It's okay. I just don't like it. So if it was a a one and a half, it's now a three, right? So I want to be clear. I don't like the song, but it's better than I remembered it. So I'll give credit for what credit is due. Yeah, it's interesting because um, I believe uh, there was a, a compilation. It might have only come out in, in Japan. Uh, and I think this was the only song from Chameleon that made it onto the compilation. Like, it, it's interesting to me. Like, like I always look forward to seeing where the tracks from Pink Bubbles and Chameleon end up landing on, like, a, you know, career retrospective type album, like a, you know, a two-disc set. Um, I remember the Pumpkin Box had one of the discs was literally just from Pink Bubbles, Chameleon, and then a handful of tracks from the Live in Live in the UK live album. So there was a decent amount of material from Chameleon on that compilation. Um, I, I remember for I think it was like first time, and then all of the the singles, the 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 three or four singles that were the four singles that were on the album. Um, Windmill and Step Out of Hell had kind of interchangeable singles. I believe one came out in Japan and one came out in Europe, but they had the same B-sides. It was just a different A-side, depending on what where your region was. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, it's it's an okay song. I don't know that I've ever talked to anybody that said that they really like it, but um, <laughs> it's fine. I, I, I prefer um, I Don't Want to Cry No More, though, as far as like a, a, a softer tune goes. But, um, you know, back, like I always say, back in high school, when I was really into like these ballad, you know, kind of power ballad type songs. Even then, like this really, I don't remember this really doing a whole lot for me, but, you know, it's fine. It's, again... It, it, it's just another weird track on a weird album. And it continues with Revolution Now, which is this quirky, funky epic of a tune. It comes in at over eight minutes. Um, does this song remind you of anything, the main riff? Because it's an interesting... every, every, time I hear, every time I hear this song, I think of something. And... I I can't unhear it because it was so pro- pronounced and prominent to me. So I'll let you I'll let that marinate for a second. I'll just kind of talk a little bit more about this song. I think the verses are a little pedestrian and I don't like the chorus. So right off the bat, not my favorite song. I think there's this little interesting pre-chorus bit where they have these keys in the background which is kind of like a little adds a little flavor to what's otherwise kind of a long and boring song. I give credit though. It does pick up speed a little bit. So I give, I think that's good during the bridge. There's this awesome guitar, like acoustic guitar tone. My issue with the song though, is more than anything. I think that if they chopped three minutes off of it, it would be a better, tighter little song. Um, But overall, again, not my favorite on the album by any means. But it does remind me of something. Have you? Have you? Can you guess what it is? I have no idea. So please, please tell me. Think "Come Together" by the Beatles. Oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it just um, permeates like ninety percent of this song, and like that real low end sound. So that's cool. But I, I'd rather just hear the Beatles do it. So I there was a time that I, and it might still be that time that I thought this was the worst Halloween song ever. Really. Um, and the fact that it was written by my favorite Halloween songwriter, songwriter is so odd. Um, but I have to say, the last few times I listened to this song, I've I probably have liked it more than I've ever liked it in my life. And again, much like you said about Windmill, that's not saying a lot. And I think the chorus is what kills this song um, because it's the, the 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 verses are offbeat and weird. But if the chorus was better and tied it together it would i think it would have been an overall better song but the core the chorus just has kind of like this really like dreary and dark kind of vibe to it and it it kind of like really kills the vibe of the song um but like there's a there's like a part where it gets acoustic in the middle and they there's like they take a portion out of the song san francisco from scott mckenzie like (laughs) It's it's a again a weird another like arty kind of track, um, but I have to say like I definitely like it more than I ever have before, and I, I found myself because again like you had said earlier like there were songs that you would just skip. This was a, always a skipper for me. Like I had no desire to ever go back and listen to this song, but when I actually forced myself to, it has its moments. It's repetitive. It's longer than it needs to be, and the chorus sucks. But like you know, it, it's. It's definitely the most, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, daring, I guess, or just really just outside the box song that, that, uh, Wykey ever penned, in my opinion. It, it, it's, and honestly, it still really kind of surprises me that he was the one behind this. I kind of would have 
guess that it was is Kisk just because it was so off the the metal reservation, so to speak, that uh, it's it just it's really surprising to me that 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 was Wikey, and then Wikey just uh, rides off into the sunset after this because yeah. the, the he's rest, like I'm done, I'm out. No, yeah. no I'm done with this. It's um, Kisk and Roland uh, the rest, the of, the rest way. of the way, and and it's funny because I think the next track also has a country feel to it so like you mentioned how you know the some of the album has a country music feel in the night to me resonates country especially with that introduction and even though i i kiss wrote the song but i always thought it sounded like a rolling tune so this was one of the ones that's a bit of a surprise to me it's actually pretty catchy it's melodic it's just not what you want from halloween if this had been on kiss's solo album i think i would have been like yeah, it's a good song um it's not metal it's not even hard rock but it's perfect for like light fm radio or something like that and it has this interesting guitar twang throughout the whole thing which is just very different i don't hate it i actually think it's better than i remembered it but it's just not a favorite of mine this if you remember i mean jesus when was the last time you listened to kisk's readiness to sacrifice solo album Probably 2005, but go well, go on. The, the, I feel like this would have fit right on 100%. That, that album. Um, I agreed. Because his first solo album, Instant Clarity, he definitely was making an attempt to, re- to reach the metal fans. And, and by having, uh, I think... Um, Kai Hansen and was it Steve Harris? I was it was one of the guys from Maiden um, helped out with that uh, with that album to really get uh, Kiss's solo career off the uh, off the ground and, and and get get that going. Um, but then when he did Readiness to Sacrifice a couple of years later, I think he was just kind of like, all right, I just want to make the album I want to make. And for him, I think it was just to make like a a, a easy listening rock album. Um, and I think that there's some freaking gems on that. It's a, that's another weird album where it's just Kisk writing and it's still it has songs that all don't sound <laughs> like they, they go together, but sure. um, it, it's, there's some cool stuff on there. And uh, it was actually Adrian Smith. I'm sorry. Yes. Not. Uh, um, so yeah, uh, Adrian Smith and Kai Hansen, uh, did guitars on uh, a good portion of that first Kiss solo album, but but this song in the night I think fits better with that second solo album. In all honesty, um, I always really liked it. I thought it had like a, a kind of just a punchy catchiness to it for kind of a softer. It's it's not a ballad, but it's definitely a soft. It's a soft rock kind of kind of tune, and as a lot of tracks do on this album, it kind of like during the solo section instead of getting like you know, heavy and, and riffy, it kind of like, gets kind of quiet and acoustic. Um, but, uh, I always thought this was a pretty good tune. Um, again, like it's one of the lesser Halloweenish tunes on an album that is not a hell, not much of a Halloween album. Um, but I, I agree with you. It's a pretty, pretty good little tune. Um, I, I don't, don't hate it. Um, uh, it was one of the songs I always kind of looked forward to hearing, uh, when I was younger and, and would go back to, List this album, especially after like hearing the last, like not really being a big fan of the last two tracks and kind of wanting the the train to get back onto not the original rails because it never really gets back on the, <laughs> the original rails, but at least on some rails somewhere else, going um, somewhere at, at least if nothing yeah. else. Shout out to Nick on the with the train mission, but uh, 
I, I um, guess that's really all that can be said about that song. So uh, it it doesn't get more palatable, or if it does, I, the, the end of this album is kind of peculiar to me, um, and it starts with music, um, a slower tune that kind of picks up, but despite. I think my issue with music is that it actually has a bit of a dark and depressing feel to it, despite the fact that I don't think that that's what they were going for with this. Um, the brass again here gives this song a really unique quality. Um, some fairly good soulful guitar playing throughout. It just drags a bit. And so like, it's kind of a love hate thing with this song. Uh, where do you stand? I, I, I have a hard time articulating why, this one is a bit of a drag for me, but it's just that ominous, dark feeling that kind of permeates the sound. I love this song. Okay. <laughs> I, I, yeah, love might be a strong word, but I really like it. Um, I think that um, the master plan cover version of it might be closer to what maybe Roland was really kind of hoping for um, and, ha- and maybe has a little bit less of that kind of darkness to it that you're saying because i totally i totally agree with you but i also think that once the the chorus hits it's just so um it's so powerful like those chords those like um orchestrations and those chords and then that keyboard sound that sounds like it came right off of phil collins record from the 80s man um I just really like this song it's it is long it's a seven minute track I, i would argue it may not need to be that long but um there's a lot of good uh roland solo guitar work on here or guitar solo work i should say um it's just it never really picks up it's just this really mid-tempo uh song but i love like all the brass and stuff it just really makes it feel so epic and uh i i actually really enjoy the end of this album i think the last four tracks all have their own interesting kind of powerful vibe to them um i think it's the the middle of the album is where (laughs) the album really drags for me um but this is a really cool song and something i didn't know until recently is that this and the following track step out of hell both you know written by roland were actually kind of pulled from songs that Roland had wrote when he was in the band Rampage. So I pulled up the tracks. I, I'd never heard them before. It was amazing to hear like the like older originations of these two songs in a completely, you know, early to mid eighties German hard rock heavy metal kind of vibe. It's really fascinating. I definitely would urge you to check out both of those. I have uh, to check those out. I never yeah, the, knew the they even existed. Called, the tracks are called, um, uh, let's see. I think um, the, the step out of hell comes from a track called victims of rock, which was from the, I think it was by the album by the same name, if I'm not mistaken. I think that was the title track. Is that possible? Yes, I, be- I believe you are correct. I'm going to just pull this up so I don't sound like an idiot. Um, yeah, the band only released uh, two albums. And then um, their second album, Love Lights Up the Night, uh, they had a song. I guess it, I think it is that the name of that song. Um 
I gotta go. I gotta go back and and check check it out again on YouTube. It might not. Be, I can't remember the name of the tune exactly, but um, it's really just um, interesting. Um, he kind of. I think he went a, a, in a bluesier direction on this Halloween version, but um, again, I think it's really kind of a cool tune. It's one of my favorites on the album, and um, I, I really enjoyed the master plan version of it as well. Um, kind of. I think. Um, Rick Altsy really does a, a hell of a job, like, because, you know, Kiss vocals are so smooth, and, like, Rick does a, uh, he sounds more like a Darius than a Kiss. Yeah, he's got that soulful voice, you know, yeah, like, very, you know, sultry in a way. Yeah, he's, you know, like a step down from Yorn Land. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's a cool song, and it leads into uh, a song that I think is uh, a little bit, um, a little bit more upbeat with uh, "Step Out of Hell." "Step Out of Hell" was probably the one song I forgot about on this album. Definitely more upbeat, and the verses remind me of something, but I just can't quite put my finger on what it is. But they use a lot of heavy synth sounds on this, and it almost reminds me of like mid '80s Rush, the way that they use those synths. But it's actually it works. Um, not really my favorite chorus, but the rest of the song is pretty good, and I would say it's in my top half of songs on the album. Not my favorite, but there's elements of this song that are very good. I can see why you think the album finishes up strong because I think that. This song and, and definitely the next one are, are two of my favorites in the top half of this album. Yeah. Um, I, I think this is just, uh, has, this song has kind of a poppy quality to it. Um, but, uh, you know, after like just this number of, of, you know, slower or countryish or bluesish or weird, uh, <laughs> tracks, you know, this this is like the first kind of hard hitting track since Giants probably uh, on the album, and it's not even that hard hitting. Um, but it, it's I think it's a fun track. I think it's it it was good to put this towards the back of the album to just kind of remind you that the band is still a metal band. Um, I don't know. I think this is a, a cool tune, and it was uh, chosen to be a single. Um, yeah, this was the one that was released in Japan, and Windmill was released in Europe. Um, so it had to be such a weird time to break out some of these songs live, and then contrast it with like, all right, and now we're gonna play Future World. I mean, like, what yeah. a weird time to be a band because if you went to these shows, I, I just can't imagine a lot of those fans of the Keeper stuff gravitating towards much of this music. It had to just be some of the weirdest concerts you'd ever see. Um, but that being said, we get to I Believe, which, to be completely honest with you, another song I never paid any mind to as a kid, and I knocked my socks off this week. Um, unquestionably, my song of the week. I want to give it a listen, and then I'll kind of explain why I chose it. But uh, here's I Believe by Halloween.
So that's, I believe, and like I said, a clear song of the week for me this week. I don't know why I always disregarded this tune, but it is really good, if not great. Uh, it's heavy. I think it's the heaviest song on the album. I think Kiss sounds fantastic, and the riffs remind me of stuff you would have heard on Time of the Oath if it had that punch that I kind of talked about earlier. But you can see why this song, again, it's a real reminder that they did have it in them. Um, I think that what was arguably most surprising about it was that it was a Michael Kisk song because, you know, for a guy who was kind of moving away from metal, this is about as metal as it gets. There's a bit of a weird instrumental section which reminds me of like space rock, like a band like Osric Tentacles or something like that. (laughs) But at the same time, it's really cool. And even the bridge is interesting despite like the doo-wop vocals. Like, I don't know, for some reason, this song really popped for me this week and I never really paid it any mind, but I'm glad I did because of all the songs, this was the one that really hit for me. This was a home run. Uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. This song is phenomenal. Um, a song that I think I also disregarded for a long time, probably just because it's a nine plus minute song. It's the longest song on the album. And I don't know. I don't know what it, what it was, what was, I don't know if I just didn't have the patience for it, but, um, this is an amazing song. And if it wasn't for longing existing, I think this would have made for the right last track on the, uh, the album. It's epic. Um, there's the part in the middle where it just kind of slows up and it's almost like this contemplative part of the song as contemplative as, as instrumental music can be. Um, just really cool. I I think that, um, it's, it is surprising that like, Michael Kisk wrote one of the most Halloweenish songs on this album that most people consider to be the most unHalloweenish album there is. But um, th- I, I agree a hundred percent with everything you said. I think the song is really, really good, and and um, it really shows that like you know Kiss could write a killer tune. It's amazing that he hasn't uh, he didn't write any songs from the new the new Halloween you know reunion album, and I don't know if he had any you know say in any of it or helped with vocal lines or what but um i I would love to see him write a new song and and have the and perform it with the band and that that would be really cool um because he's just he's got some really good tunes just a lot of them are just a little weird but like this one's really good i i think the the guitar work is probably some of the best on the album uh, on this uh this album and then and then you know like i said it slows up in the middle but then it it builds back up to the end and then just ends in this really grandiose fashion. And I I don't know that Halloween ever did as much with just these, you know, like brass and orchestrations and just really like just over the top, like almost theatrical type stuff. Like this album has a lot of just stuff you don't typically hear on a power metal record. Just a lot of, uh, you know, like, you know, just, instruments that you wouldn't normally hear um it's 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 really really interesting but um i'm glad you chose this as your song of the week i don't know that i would have uh guessed that but um i wouldn't have that's so i i can't imagine you you would have unfortunately i think it should have ended there and and instead we have one more track just because 
why not end it with a ballad? And it, it starts with these acoustic guitars. Again, the song is longing. Um, it takes a while to get this thing going. And when it does, I think it's probably pretty decent because Kisk is really stealing the show on this one. But again, better served for his solo albums, in my in my opinion. I think the highlight are probably the choruses. Otherwise, it's fairly dis- nondescript on and just a kind of a bizarre way to end a, what's otherwise a weird album. Oh man, I, I'm definitely not with you on that. Like this, yes, this is not a Halloween song by in, by any stretch of the imagination. But man, you talk about the last Michael Kisk song on a Halloween record ever. Like, boy, what a way to go out. Like this is, if you've ever played this song on headphones and just jacked up the volume and listened to it, like I dare you not to get goosebumps. Like the, the orchestration, the way that it builds the, that heavy, heavy bass drum that like, this is, this is an incredible, incredible song. It's not a Halloween song. I will be very clear when I say that. But man, I don't. I couldn't see this album ending any other way. Like this, to have I believe in longing these these two Kiss tracks just kind of act as as a send off for him and Ingo in a lot of ways as well. But like you know, I always said uh, that this song was the Michael Kiss swan song with the band. I and it, my wildest dreams did never never expected him to be a part of the band again. Uh, you know many years later but man this is this song is incredible and um there was some sort of holiday live holiday concert or something that they did i think in europe and and they did uh they did a a, a kiss sang with a a, an actual orchestra sang the song that i would be like curious to hear oh my god it's incredible um this would have been my song of the week had uh you chosen first time um it's definitely as much of an opposite of that first track as, as you can imagine. Um, but man, this, this song is incredible. I remember Pat um, being like, singing this song's praises before I had ever even heard this album. He, you know, he was, he would, he must've been a ballad guy too at the time. Cause he would, he said, you have to hear your turn on pink bubbles go ape and you have to hear longing on chameleon. And, and like, if you're just a fan of hearing Michael Kisk sing like this song, it definitely would have fit um, if those last two tracks on readiness to, to sacrifice. I think it actually says on in the liner notes, these songs are meant to be listened to uh, uh, with, on good speakers or <laughs> with headphones or, or something. And uh, the two songs are um, easy, which um, is kind of in the vein of this song, very similar where it's just a very, atmospheric and chill Michael Kisk fest uh, followed by shadow fights, which again is another very heavily orchestrated tune. Um, this would have fit what right along on that album. Absolutely. It makes no sense as a Halloween song, but at the same time, I freaking love it as the last track on chameleon and kind of really just tying a bow on the weirdest period of time that this band would, uh, would experience. Um, Definitely want to talk about all of the, uh, the, the, the bonus material and stuff as when the album was re-released as an expanded edition. It came with a second disc with eight more tracks. Halloween used to just churn out bonus material. The Japanese uh, record labels must have loved them uh, because there was <laughs> just plenty of, plenty of stuff. But um, 
before we go into that, I just want to point out, uh, you know, you were talking about like the lot, like, what the the set list would have been at this time, and man, if you were a fan of the Keeper albums, you would not have enjoyed th- these shows because. They played nine songs from Chameleon and five from Pink Bubbles Go Ape and four from the, the two Keeper albums, nothing from Walls of Jericho, uh, and a B, and an instrumental B side, uh, from the Chameleon, uh, time. But I mean, and don't forget a Carl Perkins cover. So like when you, I mean, it was a weird time. Yeah. Uh, but the, you know, they, they played Crazy Cat. They played Giants. They played, uh, I believe, like, uh, this is some shit I would really like to hear. Um, Step Out of Hell. Like, it, it's this This is such a cool time. I have an old, really bad bootleg video of a show from this tour. I think it was recorded in Oslo, Norway. Um, and, like, somebody in a balcony with an old camcorder. It looks like shit. It sounds like shit. But it, it, it's a Halloween bootleg from the Chameleon Tour, so I, I ate it up. I think – I forgot where I got it from, but I think it's on, It's probably on YouTube now. I'll try to dig it up. But um, it's a, just a fascinating time in the band's history. And to my understanding, like, almost put an end to this band uh, before they would pick up – Annie Darris and Uli Kush, Uli Kush, in a year's time, release Master of the Rings and just completely change the trajectory of the band. Yeah, I, 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 I <laughs> it's amazing to me that Soul Survivor and Where the Rain Grows would be coming out a year after this. It is just night and day um, when you really think about it. I, I want you to give your score eventually based on just the album proper and not the bonus sides, but you know, but but that being said, I think we'd be remiss not to speak about them like you mentioned. So let's kind of just go through these um, one by one in no particular order. Um, The first, I don't care. You don't care. Um, God, if, if, how could these songs get weirder, but somehow they do Um, a really interesting guitar solo at the start has a bit of like an anthemic quality to it in a way, but the song itself is a miss for me. I think it sounds more like a Scorpions tune than it does a Halloween song. Um, decent ver- verses, but just an another odd Wycath tune. But I guess I agree, shit, shit happens. I, I, I don't know what's like something about this one's a miss. I, I just don't <laughs> particularly like it. Yeah, it's just an okay song. I, you know, I forgot that it was a Wikey song. It's so, again, a very unlike him kind of tune. Um, I think the lyrics are funny to me because it's almost like, I wonder if it has something to do with just this whole recording session. It's like, I don't care. You don't care. Shit happens. Shit happens. Like, you know, let's, uh, you know. Let's move on. Um, so, yeah, it's got kind of a little bit of a kind of a bluesy flavor to it. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's fine. There was a time where, like, I was just obsessed with, again, hearing everything there was to hear. And I remember going on eBay and getting uh, a collection of all these B-sides and hearing them for the first time. Because I, I don't know that, uh, yeah, they weren't released in the U.S. until they made that expanded edition of all the albums and they released every you know bonus track b-side etc um i I don't know that there's really anything that's really that great uh, of any of these b-sides they're all kind of middle of the road songs um 
But uh, yeah, it, it's interesting. It's just something a little bit different, as, as Halloween B-sides do tend to be, even on the more Halloween-esque albums, uh, they tend to be a little bit more interesting, like, you know, Roland singing a, a Grand Funk Railroad cover, as we will talk about uh, on the next album. Yeah, you're right. What's interesting is I thought I had heard all the B-sides, but I heard a new one this week for the first time. I had never heard Oriental Journey. I didn't have it, didn't realize it existed. For some reason, it just kind of escaped me, and it's it's an instrumental tune. But what's fascinating is that if you go on the Halloween's YouTube page, the official YouTube page, Oriental Journey is on there, but it only has 3,400 hits. So it's like a forgotten tune even by the Halloween fans. Um I don't really have anything to say other than it just highlights Roland's guitar playing in Whitecath 2 for basically five and a half minutes. So um, an interesting tune. I was just happy that I finally heard it after all of these years. Yeah, and they, and they would play it live. I don't know if it was like just their version of the the random solo in a power metal concert. But um, yeah, it's probably one of the more uh, interesting of the bonus tracks. But definitely uh, is kind of a Roland... Uh, you know, solo piece, uh, a lo- much like uh, the Grapowski's Malm Suite would be uh, a year later, but um, definitely has like those uh, classic Roland guitar tones that um, y- you hear even, uh, you know, it past this era of the, the band, but kind of a cool tune. Uh, I- I'm a little surprised that uh, you hadn't heard it before. I think it was... Um, Yeah, it was on the when, it was only on the Japanese version of the When the Sinner single. So like, and you're surprised you, I hadn't heard it. I guess, yeah, I don't know. I, maybe that was a weird thing to say, but um, yeah, was for whatever reason it wasn't on the European version of the single. Um, it is called Oriental Journey after all. So, uh, but just interesting that it was only released in one uh, one area. Um, it would it actually resurfaced on the Buried Treasure bonus disc that came with the treasure chest greatest hits release that was i think that came out in like 2002 somewhere around that time but uh interesting interesting tune yeah um and and these are all so different the next one cut in the middle has a gallop to it at least which is something you really don't get to say much on this album it's actually quite catchy albeit kind of scat like kind of underrated really kind of thought that this might have been a better served on the album proper. I, I, I don't think it's a metal tune. It's definitely harder rock, but it's actually a pretty good song that I, I think it's probably the best of the B-sides. Yeah, uh, Marcus, this was like around the time that Marcus was like the master of the Halloween B-sides. Uh, I think it wasn't until like Rabbit Don't Come Easy that uh, Marcus's songs would really start to become on the, the, the proper album. Um, but there, there's a lot of... Uh, Marcus gems out there. I remember talking about um, a couple of them uh, in the Pink Bubbles discussion, but uh, this is one of two songs that he wrote that ended up being uh, B-sides. And yeah, I think this is um, kind of a neat tune. Again, it's a little bit off off beat compared to everything else, but um, yeah, catchy enough. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, I, I, I want to hear your thoughts on uh, Introduction, which is basically just a comedy track. Uh, yeah, I thought this was freaking. The first time I heard this, I thought this was absolutely hysterical. Um, I I'll let Mikey do the talking on this one. Um, this comes from an interview that he did. He said uh, 
when I did introduction, I actually wanted to create some kind of spinal tapish Im- impact, like a German rock star who's lost track of reality. And also I wanted to take some shit out on some people I knew, which is more or less a private way to take it out on them. So it was basically fun. During that time, I was so unhappy with many things and I was not behind the whole Halloween thing because I thought we were going in the wrong direction. And while being in that situation, I just wanted to have some fun. Um well said. I don't think I'm going to add anything to that. Although I will say, if you've never heard this, it's definitely a change of pace. Yeah, it's funny because they they take the song that comes next, "Get Me Out of Here," and he kind of changes the the lyrics to it. It's just it's really like a comedy sketch. It's um, it's re- it's really quite funny. Um, I'll continue. I kind of want to read the rest of this quote just because I think it's really interesting. Um. It says there's some bootleg videos you can watch from shows in Japan where I behave very odd and I still I still played my stuff, but I, it was quite obvious that I wasn't with the thing or with the game and this was merely aggression in between Kisk and me in, in fronts being built inside the band and different camps that made the whole time very hard for everyone, especially for me in particular and Kisk as well. Then I tended to do a lot of stupid stuff to irritate him or anyone anyone else and that's how the introduction came about and the whole song get me out of here funny thing is that michael kiss liked get me out of here so much that he said i should always write stuff like it even for albums and i said yeah well that's taking it a little bit too far maybe and he said why and i said because we simply can't do it so let's close the subject please i mean he may have had a point but on the other hand uh I'm quite happy that it's on the B side. So I, I mean, actually like the song. I think it's like got an infectious melody to it. Yeah, um, I, I think he's talking more about the introduction part of it. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is a catchy tune. Uh, the lyrics are very goofy. Um, it's just about a, a, a slob, um, basically. Um, but uh, it's. I think that this this quote was is really like a window into what the what the chaos was with this band at the time. Oh, um, for sure. But yeah, th- this is a fun little tune also. Again, like not not really a Halloween song, but just kind of if Wikey had ever made a solo album, this is the kind of wackiness that I would have hoped to hear, hear on something like that. And then you get, you know, you get your money's worth if nothing else with Red Rocks and the no, Smell don't. of Trees. This is over 10 minutes long for a B-side, and my only thoughts were like, am I listening to a Fish album or a Grateful Dead album? It's the one song that the entire band helped pen, and it's like this avant-garde, like, instru- I, I don't know what the hell to say about this thing. How, what, 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 what were they thinking with this? I don't know. If it... I'm kind of surprised it's not on the main Chameleon album because it would fit in with the rest of the insanity. But um, this is my least favorite Halloween song of all time, I I think. Um, There's just nothing about it is interesting to me. It's just this um, meandering... You know, I, I I never thought of it like like a like a jam band kind of song, but I think you really hit the nail on the head there. Um, I'm curious if it was completely improved, and that's why the entire band received credit. Like, I wonder if they just sat there and played something. Right. Um, I guess that seems unusual considering the state of the band at the time. But man, this song does absolutely nothing for me. I, I just think it's a 10 minute snooze fest. Yeah, it's a, it's a slog. I, I've got nothing else to say about that. It's just a really odd tune. And then there's Ain't Got Nothing, which has like this 50s 
rock vibe to it, in my opinion. It's almost like Elvis, the way he appro- they approach this song with a touch of blue suede shoes thrown in, which makes sense because obviously they had played that in the past and it's a cover that they would even play live. Um, just not something I need to hear. I'll, I'll leave it at that. It's fine. It's just not, you know, not my thing. Um, scale of one to 10, what are you giving this album? You know, it, it's weird. Um, I'm going to probably catch a lot of hell for this, but step out of hell and tell me what you think. Yeah. I'm giving it a 7.75 and wow, that's probably as low as I could possibly go on a Halloween album. It probably will be the lowest rank that I give. Wow. Halloween album. Um, I gave pink bubbles a uh, 8.25, but, um, I just really like the album on a whole, even though, it doesn't make any sense as a Halloween album. It, it, I like the songs as individual parts. And I think the fact that I've actually kind of grown to tolerate revolution now um, pu- pushes it a little bit higher, but um, I just, I'm just that much of a fan of the band that like even their worst album isn't really that bad to me. It's actually quite good and there's a lot to enjoy from it. So I recognize the fact that my score is way higher than, just about anybody else's but that's just how much i love this band and i just think this album is very unjust unjustly maligned um i think it's just me justly maligned in certain instances but to just write off an entire album because it's doesn't fit a certain mold i think kind of is just not how i want to approach it um and and i think that stuff like this is what makes uh, bands interesting that they actually have stuff that's different and you know um I, I don't know how much we really needed a keeper of the seven keys parts three and four um I, I i have such a i have such a love for all of the different eras of halloween and how different they are from one another well it, whether it be the you know kai wells jericho era the keeper era the this era the you know the i call the uli roland era and and everything that you know follows there's just so much about this band and the history of this band so i I guess i'm being a little bit apologetic but i also don't care so yeah 7.75 that's where i'm going I, i i expect that yours is going to be significantly lower uh if by no other reason than uh by the fact that you had given pink bubbles go ape a 7.5 and i cannot see you um even coming close to, to that on this one. So there are a handful of songs that I enjoy and there's a handful of songs that I just don't care about. Um, this is a 5.0 for me. It's not bad. It's not the three that I probably would have given it or the two I would have given it in 1999. It's actually better than that. But at the same time, this is not an album that I long to go back to. And I think that Pink Bubbles is markedly better, markedly better. And so I give it a five. I don't know if you call that average. I don't care, you know if you call that a little below average, slightly less than passable, whatever. There's some good tracks on here. But by and large, I just think it's an album that, um, you know, if I wanted this kind of stuff, I think it's the, I think it's the, the lack of collusion that really has me um, ha- that I have an issue with. The fact that when you just has no flow, no continuity, it's the kind of thing where if a song comes on shuffle and I heard it, I'd be like, this is cool. But when you listen to the whole package for 71 minutes, it goes on too long. 
that's you know that's fair, and I'm sure a lot of people would agree, and I'm sure there's a lot of people that would rate it significantly even lower than that. So um, that's cool. Uh, you gave the same uh, rating to the Monkeys Justice album, which uh, is like the it's almost like the Monkeys version of Chameleon. It's got a a big white boring album art and uh everybody wrote their own songs and and uh, it's and there's no flow so that's why i rate it the way i yeah. do but Inter- um, interesting, interesting parallelism there but uh I, I i just i don't know man i just i love halloween like they, they can do no wrong they can do no wrong in my in my eyes and and this is as wrong as it gets <laughs> there you go well said um I just want to bring up two quick news items. Number one, really good news out of the Pretty Maids camp. They are getting back together and playing shows in 2024. Uh, There is still hope that I will get to see this band live for a second time. Uh, It is nice to hear that they are going back on the road together and they announced a number of festival dates. I know you're happy about that as well. Yeah, I don't know if that's going to lead to me end up, you know, actually getting to see them live, but just hearing that, um, you know, I, I, I didn't realize that, uh, Ronnie Atkins and, and Ken Hammer, who've basically been the two, you know, uh, backbones of this band going back to the early eighties, uh, had a falling out. And I don't know if it had anything to do with, um, you know, Ronnie's health, but it sounds like they've kind of made peace with each other and, made amends and I, again i didn't even realize there were problems i just assumed that the band was kind of on a uh hiatus due to ronnie's health <clears throat> but it's great to hear that um they're gonna be you know getting back to uh together again and playing again and, and i can only hope that somehow they end up back in the states and i could see them you know one more time before if this is you know towards the end of their existence uh, they've turned into like a, a band that I really, really enjoy. And so I really hope that, um, you know, there's more to come from them. Hopefully another album. Uh, it's been quite a few years. Uh, it's been four years since their last full length album. So, um, great news. It's just good to hear. And I hope that, uh, hope that Ronnie continues to, to do well. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's 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 a pleasant surprise because I thought that they were done. I really did, but it's uh, just just good news all around from that camp. And uh, you know, we we sat in our group chat last night, and I we, the subject of dream theater came up, and I I had a prognostication, but I swear I had no idea that this thing was going to get announced today. I know we're going to start calling you punk the metal punksatani Phil. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're talking about dream theater, and I said I would be shocked if Mike Portnoy did not rejoin this band again. And we got an announcement about 12 hours later that Mike Portnoy is back <laughs> as the drummer for Dream Theater. I shit you not. You can't make it up. I did say it. You're my witness. Uh, but Mike Portnoy back in Dream Theater. They're going to hit the road and they're going to record another album. Some rumors that this might be the last album and last tour. I don't know if that's true. But if that is in fact true, uh, despite uh, your uh, disdain for, for one Mr. Labrie on lead vocals, I think that it's time to go see them one last time. Yeah, I think in this in this case, absolutely. Although I will say the comment of the day uh, went to my friend Asher, who wrote, um, "I wish they would announce that uh, they were bringing back Charlie Dominici." So, <laughs> pretty <laughs> well much, said. Pretty much hit the nail on the head about how I feel about it. Um, but you know, it, it's you know, it's something to be said for loyalty, I suppose. I just think that, um, and we talked about this at length in our in our group chat. But I do think that when you have the 
some of the greatest musicians at each of their instruments and just the subpar live vocalist it really kind of takes away from just this it's 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 like four virtuosos and 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 then the guy who's just kind of uh uh, just out there you know it's it's uh, i don't know he's not bad he's just he just can't do what he used to be able to do and we want to hear songs that dream theater has played over the years and i don't know it's uh uh, t- to be completely honest with you, like I've kind of been checked out on Dream Theater since Train of Thought came out. <laughs> so yeah, it was about twenty was years ago. So that's yeah. that's that's good. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm intrigued. I'm interested, and I'll definitely go see them on tour again. I'm just curious. I think they're going to play some pretty big rooms, I, so that will be interesting. Uh, and speaking of interesting, we go from Chameleon in 1993 to our next album, which is a request from one of our Patreon members, Nick, a good dear friend of ours, to 1994, and a, a band that I've just never paid any attention to. I've, I'm familiar with a lot of the radio songs, but this band just never paid any attention to it, and I need to spend some real time with this album before we discuss it. The band is Nine Inch Nails. The album is The Downward Spiral, which came out in March of 1994. I knew a couple of tracks off this album, but by and large, a lot of this was new to me. I only listened to it once so far, and I I just need to spend a lot more time with this one. Yeah, I I haven't listened to it at all yet, and I, I... I know at least two songs. Uh, we'll see if I recognize more than two. Um, but yeah, this is, I think, very interesting and um, definitely a, a major milestone um, in hard rock slash heavy metal. Um, this was uh, a really interesting album because I remember hearing Closer on the radio, you know, right in between your Green Days and your Weezers and your Stone Temple Pilots and so I always kind of lumped them into the alternative, you know, rock area. But years later, hearing more and more of their stuff, it's clear that, that they really don't actually fit. I mean, there is definitely an alternative sense to it, but this is in an industrial rock, industrial metal uh, situation <clears throat> all the way. So interesting choice. Um, I guess we can kind of... Uh, lump it in with our uh, October choices, just really kind of some, some uh, off the beaten path type stuff. The weirdest Halloween album of all time, a monkey's album, uh, a video game cover album, a, a, a band grim reaper that neither of us ever really listened to. I mean, it's been a, a fun ride. Uh, and I guess we'll wrap things up with Nick's, uh, Nick's request of nine inch nails. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. This is, um, something I'm just really not that knowledgeable in. So, um, Uh, It'll be an education, if nothing else. As we march on towards the end of the year and our year of review episode, which we always look forward to. But uh, thanks to everyone for listening. Give us a like and a follow and consider joining the Patreon if you like what you hear. It does really help support the show. Uh, Chris, this has been fun. I knew we would do it eventually. Uh, No better time than the present. So I'm glad we got to cover this. I'm glad that I got to really spend some time with this album And uh, I'm going to go listen to some Nine Inch Nails. So enjoy uh, the rest of the week, my friend. And I will talk to you sooner rather than later. And our next Halloween episode will be about Master of the Rings. uh, Date to be determined. But uh, I think you'll be able to, uh, you know, you got your probably your two least favorites out of the way. So we can uh, focus on some more bright spots, at least uh, 
the general consensus being, uh, I'm looking forward to talking about, uh, <clears throat> more of the Halloween albums. And like I said before, I hope that by the time it's all said and done, we'll have talked about all of their albums, but it's going to take a few more years before we get there. No doubt. No doubt. Uh, good choice, my friend. I will talk to you soon. All right. Take care, buddy. Come and go.